Holy Spirit. Amen. As I began to prepare to speak to you all this evening, I remembered the strangeness of last year's Maundy Thursday service. The whole new world we thought was just a temporary glitch. Now here we are again doing Holy Week online. And while it's not so strange anymore, boy has this been a long haul. And what kept popping into my head was the expression credited to baseball legend Yogi Berra. It's deja vu all over again. Since the beginning of the pandemic, we've been using our morning prayer liturgy for our online worship today, as Christine mentioned, because on this day, we commemorate the institution of the Holy Eucharist, Holy Communion. We're observing the liturgy of the Eucharist. I think in the past year, many of us have come to realize that as we join as the body of Christ, yes, even remotely, we are in fact in communion, holy communion. So here we are on Maundy Thursday where we're invited once again into loving relationship with God. And tonight's liturgy is an opportunity to be reminded of the depth of that love of God. On this night, the night before he is killed, Jesus institutes a new sacrament, which is what we reenact in the Eucharist. As we celebrate this sacrament, we're invited to be sacraments as well. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as, as a sacrament, a living, breathing sacrament. The Book of Common Prayer defines a sacrament as an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Living life as a sacrament being an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, being the face of God to the world around us may sound beautiful and sure it is, but it's a tough job. In today's gospel, we heard of Jesus assuming the role of servant and washing the feet of his disciples. A strong possibility exists that Jesus felt or knew that this was his last night of his life on earth. And this is what he chose to do. I can't help but wonder what I would do if I knew it was my last night on earth. Dinner with close friends, very possibly. Foot washing, not so sure. I suspect the impact of the events and teachings at this last supper did not have time to sink into the hearts and minds of the disciples until much later because of the way the evening eventually unfolded. Jesus is betrayed by Judas Iscariot and arrested on this night, ripped by Roman soldiers from their midst and leaving them terrified. So when I'm preparing to write a homily, I get inspiration from many different sources and they can range from very high level wordy commentaries I can barely understand to frivolous Facebook posts. And often the very best is from people in my life. I had dinner earlier this week with my neighbor, Bernie, to celebrate his 83rd birthday. He's Jewish, not particularly religious, an open-minded thinker, and an accomplished curmudgeon. In checking in about what our week looked like, I mentioned Holy Week and Maundy Thursday in particular. He asked me, what exactly is that? I gave him the short answer. It's the night of the Last Supper. 
Bernie went on to ask some details about logistics. Who arranged it? Where was it? Did Jesus rent the space? Who cooked? I answered these best I could with some embellishment just to make it interesting. Burns then asked what happened next, leading to Good Friday. I explained that Jesus and his disciples went off to a garden and that's when the chief priests and soldiers arrived and arrested him. So they were like the police, he asked. Yes. And what did Jesus's friends do? Well, except for Peter who lobbed off a soldier's ear, they ran off and they were afraid. Bernie pressed on. So these police, they all wanted to arrest him? I said, well, I, I guess so, or maybe they were just doing their job. Then the conversation took a turn. See, just prior to this, we were discussing the trial going on this week in Minneapolis. You know the one. This had been a kind of easy discussion so far, me just explaining how the events of Holy Week unfold. But Bernie now took it up a notch and he said, don't you see those soldiers are just like the other cops when George Floyd was killed. Why didn't they do something? My head is spinning at this point and something is screaming, there's a connection here. So this is where that led. I wonder if any of the soldiers that night had heard of Jesus and maybe they weren't totally on board with this arrest. I wonder what it took for them to be a part of it. And I wonder about so many people in just about any profession who stand by powerless and let things happen because they fear losing their jobs. And it's hard to blame them really if they have a family to support. And I have to wonder about police who answer a radio call and when they arrive, they see the other police are doing something wrong. They can take the risk of interfering, but then even if they don't actually lose their job, they lose the support of their coworkers. Or would they? Perhaps just one person pushing back would empower others to do the same. And perhaps that behavior catches on and it turns the culture of the organization around. I'm dreaming big here, I know that. So of course, now I should probably say something about how we should stick around and stand up for what's right, defend the weak and the persecuted regardless of the consequences to us personally. And yes, we should try for that. But we're kind of fortunate people and as bad as our society is, we don't typically run into these situations firsthand in our everyday lives. But we do hear of them and then they are in our lives and that's where we intersect with them. So do we keep scrolling, switch the channel, turn the page when it's too uncomfortable? Perhaps even with a prayer and thinking, well, there's really nothing I can do. I know I do sometimes. Sometimes it's just too overwhelming. Sometimes it's just too overwhelming to even know how to pray for it all. The cycle of this past year, starting with a pandemic we never thought would affect us for more than a few weeks. As we worked through that and tried to figure out how to live and work and worship, 
Then racial tensions exploded and our country was in deep trouble in so many ways. The infection was more than physical. It was deep in the soul of our nation. Now we've passed the one year mark and we're beginning to feel a bit of relief that the pandemic can be pushed back and we can survive this in whatever our new normal will be. And then the violence against Asians, which was an undercurrent from the very beginning of the pandemic, fueled by ignorance and the need for a scapegoat. Now, as we're seeing the light at the end of the pandemic, now this hatred has to escalate. So where have we gotten in a year? We're killing one virus, but a nastier one is still rampant. The George Floyd murder trial got me thinking a lot about kneeling and knees. Before the pandemic, around 2019, you know, eons ago, the big hot issue was football players, maybe some other sports, but it was mostly football, the taking a knee. Remember that? What a controversy. They knelt in protest and many applauded it, but so many condemned it. It was all over the media constantly. Take a knee, he took a knee, who's taking a knee? How dare they insult our flag and everything we stand for? People were so angry that this was allowed to happen. Kneeling in protest of a system that allows mistreatment. No, actually that's too lame, that allows brutality to an entire segment of our society. Outrage about kneeling in protest of wrong, kneeling to bring attention to an issue and to perhaps influence change, how dare they? And then a cop knelt on a black man's neck as if to say, I protest you. And the cycle of hate continues, kneeling, knees, We're hopefully at the back end of this pandemic, but this trial going on is reminding us of our deep wounds, our deeply dysfunctional, toxic society. We come to what we hope is the end of the pandemic, having survived in new and wonderful ways with a spirit of cooperation and acknowledgement for what others do, appreciation for the lives of others. There should be a good chance we can emerge from pandemic, a changed society, having endured so much, having lost so much together. But here we are a year later and we're still stifled by this cycle of hate that we can't seem to spin away from. And we mostly feel helpless that there seems to be really nothing we can do. But the cycle of love continues as well. We are living sacraments, remember, outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. Tonight, we remember that at the Last Supper, Jesus takes a knee and washes the feet of his friends, turning the master into the servant, showing love is the only way. In the garden, Jesus takes to his knees in pleading prayer before finally accepting his gruesome death. The following day, he falls to his knees three times under the weight of carrying his cross. His mother kneels at the foot of the cross. 
my fellow sacramental people. Tonight, I bid you to pray, to be humble, to serve and be served, to love and be loved, to gather in communion remotely online and in your hearts, to let our souls kneel into the implications of our sacramental lives, our sacramental lives that call us to show the face of God to the world by seeing the face of God in the world, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. When you feel there's really nothing you can do, just be a sacrament. <laughs>